Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone which the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and her are with you, and whoever has a dispute, you may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, usually the first Sunday that a new minister comes to a new church, I usually call that Sunday your getting to know you Sunday. It's the Sunday where the sermon is about, talk, you know, the preacher talking about their call story and telling a little bit about themselves and really kind of getting to know the congregation. But as an associate, I didn't have to come and preach my very first Sunday with y'all, which was a great blessing. I got to be able to be with you instead. But because of that, I wasn't able to tell you the call story and wasn't able to tell you about how I came to be a pastor. And so this morning I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own call narrative because it also takes place on the top of a mountain. It was the summer of 2001 and I was working with the Appalachia Service Project in the mountains of Matewan, West Virginia, which is the home of the Hatfields and the McCoys, if anybody knows of that grand dispute. We were out serving in ministry, repairing homes and making homes warmer and safer and drier as a part of our ministry in that community. And we served for 10 weeks. I lived in a boy's locker room on a cot, and it was splendid. And about my sixth week into ministry there with the students that would come in, the youth and the adult volunteers and sending folks out, I, I had gone out on our food run because I was the food coordinator for our site. And if you know anything about me, that is a great position for me to hold. I do love to eat. And so I'd gone to the Walmart, which was in Kentucky, because we were right on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. I'd gone to the Kentucky Walmart and loaded up my car with 54 loaves of bread and about 32 gallons of milk. And then I started my way back home. I knew that there was a different route that I had just discovered of how to get back to the center, how to be able to get back to the school. So I wanted to take this new route and kind of see, did it cut off any of my time? Was it faster or shorter? Well, that route took me until 2 a.m. in the morning to be able to get back home. <laughs> For as I was coming down the mountain on this two-lane highway, another car was on the other lane, and they had their turn signal set to turn left. Well, Another car came down behind them, didn't see that turn signal, 
And instead of hitting that person from behind, they came into my lane and hit me head on. So I was going the speed limit, don't worry, but the speed limit was 55 miles per hour down a mountain. A person came and responded, somebody who was one of the neighbors and just came running out after hearing the crash and they went to all of the different cars and then came back to mine. And so I knew that meant I was the worst. So this person started talking to me, trying to keep me conscious, trying to keep me alert, trying to make sure that I was okay and what was going on. They stayed with me until the firefighters and ambulance came. And they looked at my car and they saw that my license plate was North Carolina. And so they asked, they said, what are you doing in these parts of West Virginia? And so I explained a bit about the ministry of the Appalachia Service Project and about what we do and how we work with families and the ways that we work within the community. And this gentleman looked at me and he said, you know, I bet that you wish that you were in North Carolina right now instead of here. And then I had a moment of understanding my call. For without hesitation, I responded back to this gentleman and said, you know, if I had died doing this, I would have died doing what God had called me to do. And I knew at that point that I was going to go into ministry. Now, it took a couple of years to be able to figure out exactly what that ministry looked like and how I would live that out. But I had that experience on that mountain to be able to know that this is what I was supposed to do with my life. And I call my call narrative the feeding of the 5,000 cats because if you can think about and imagine what happens with a car that has 34 gallons of milk and 50-something loaves of bread, then you can just imagine the onslaught of animals that come after I've left the car. <laughs> but it was an experience that I won't forget. Something that I left from with a broken ankle, but no other injuries. A couple of scars and bruises, but a calling and an assurance of what I was supposed to do with my life. So I wonder how many of y'all would be able to tell your own call narratives. How many of y'all would be able to talk about a story and an encounter with God where you knew beyond a doubt of what you were supposed to do in the world? Talk of the call is so common among clergy that I think we often forget that many other Christians ra rarely understand that they are also called to their occupations, to their relationships, to the ways that they volunteer each and every day in the world. It would be easy to overlook, though, for many of us don't have a pattern of life or a rhythm established that invites us each day into listening to God's voice. Our daily rhythms may focus more on the tasks of life. Going to work, checking things off the to-do list, making sure that the children are carted from point A to point B without 
tears, being able to go to doctor's appointments, and going from all of that to going to rest in bed and starting that pattern all over again. As I've been going around and teaching classes in Sunday schools, I've been teaching a lesson on how to write prayers based on being able to study and learn from Scripture and to have your prayers flow from those Scriptures. And in one of those lessons, one of the women in the class responded to me, and I loved this. She said, Sarah, I barely have time to go to the bathroom without being interrupted. (laughs) How in the world am I supposed to carve out time to be able to do this, to practice this kind of prayer. It was very eye-opening, that question, because it really reminded me about how we think that we're not in control of our lives, of perhaps how we think that everybody else is putting on all of these pressures, all of these demands, and sometimes we succumb to those. And we allow those to be able to be what fills our schedules and our calendars. Now, I'm sure after I have this baby, I will understand a lot more things in different ways with the ways that I also will get interrupted. But I also want to tell y'all, just as I need to be able to hear it, that we choose our pattern and our rhythm of our life that we choose where our focus rests. We choose how we arrange our calendars, what we say yes to and what we say no to. We choose how we put God at the center of our lives. We choose what fills up our lives. Moses chose to go to the top of that mountain and to spend 40 days wrapped in God's presence, to emerge with a set of commandments, with a new rhythm of life for him and for the Hebrew community. Peter chose to respond to that same cloud of God's presence by falling to his face and taking a moment to recognize a new rhythm of his life, a rhythm that was focused around what he heard from within that cloud. The voice that said, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Are we able and open to listening? Or are our days filled with so much clutter that we lose the voice of the one who created us? We lose the voice of the one who called and named us, who claims us as beloved children. Sure, even once we hear that voice, even once we understand our call, we'll probably wander away from it again and we'll lose our focus. I allowed fear of snakes to keep me from following God's voice to enter the Peace Corps. (laughs) And we remember from Scripture that the Hebrews built a golden calf even after being invited to follow the new rhythm of life that God had given them. And Peter, we all know Peter's great story. He walked down from this mountaintop experience and later on denied being a follower of Christ, not once, not twice, 
but three times. Peter struggled to listen. He struggled to follow and to be faithful. And actually, he more than struggled. He just outright failed at that moment. But each time he failed, Jesus reached out and raised him up and sent him back into the world and said, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Go out and do it. I have a hunch that each time Peter fell down and got back up again, he would remember this day on the mountaintop, and he would recall the words that he heard from that cloud. Listen. Listen to him. Now this pattern and this rhythm of Peter failing and falling and being lifted back up again, that might be a little bit more similar to a pattern of life that we might be familiar with. This rhythm shapes each and every Christian. It shapes the life of our calling and our daily walk. But I wonder if we're paying attention to this rhythm or if we get stuck on the falling and the failing. Do we get stuck when we make a mistake and think, oh, I'm not good enough. This wasn't supposed to be for me. Do we get stuck on the times that we fail or that we disappoint one another or that we disappoint God and we just stop and ignore that calling and we ignore that voice and we allow our own ego to take over. We too fall down in fear, but we are raised back up in order to be able to go forth in confidence of knowing that God has called you to do what you are meant to do in the world. We too are called to listen, called to discern God's way in the world, called to partner with God and to be a part of transforming the world around us. And we are called to choose the rhythm for our life that allows us to connect more openly and more fully to where God is sending us in the world, to what God is asking us to do, to how God will use us to change this world. And we all have a part to play in God's ongoing drama to save and to bless and to care for one another. But all of that has to first start with our ability to listen. We have to hear God's voice for ourselves. Now, it may come through the recommendation of another. It may come through a repetitive thought that just can't seem to exit our heads. It may come through the clarity of serving in the world. It may come through a song, through a jazz ensemble, through a movie, through a book, or through an aha moment that we have in nature. God speaks to us in multiple ways. But how are we choosing to listen to that voice? On Ash Wednesday, many Christians all around the world will choose a new rhythm for their life for the next 40 days. As you consider what you will do, I'd like to invite you to think through a few questions first as you choose your new pattern of life. For these disciplines and these practices that we take on during Lent, 
They're not there for us to be able to lose those extra five pounds that we'd like to get rid of. (laughs) But instead, there are ways that invite us into a new pattern, into a new rhythm of living with God. So think to yourself, what is something that keeps you distracted from listening to God's voice? Is there an obstacle in your life that prohibits you from living fully into God's calling? What might be a practice that you could add to your life that will open you up to knowing and to living in the midst of God's presence? Perhaps is there a place that you have been sensing that God is inviting you to be in ministry to the world? For 40 days, you are invited to choose the rhythm of your life that will open you up to be able to listen to God. And so use these questions as your guidelines. Use these questions as your food for thought, as the ways that you are called to get rid of one thing in order to be able to invite in a deeper relationship and a stronger presence of knowing where God is calling you and how God is speaking to you. I do not think that it is a coincidence that Moses and Jesus all experienced God on a mountaintop. For it's in the midst of these times when we're able to be away, that we're able to pray and meditate, to go on retreat or to gather together in worship, that these practices are ways of letting go of our own egos, of the masks that we wear, of our busyness, and of our distractions. And these practices of prayer and presence and worship, they open us from the isolation to connect us to God and to one another. So by regularly carving out some time and space in our busy lives to simply be present with God and to allow God to be present to us however God chooses, we will be transformed. So I invite you to take on your discipline, to take on your practice for the next 40 days, to allow it to shape and to transform you. And then perhaps come Easter, it won't be something that you'll put behind until next Lent, but it'll be a new rhythm and a new way of living life. Thanks be to God.